Hello and welcome to the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, joining me, as always, that man from another world, uh, it's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hello, Stephen. How's it going tonight, buddy? Uh, it's fine. Yeah? Just fine? fine. It's just fine. All right. Um, and speaking of just fine, we are, uh, we've, there's a new Roland Emmerich movie coming out this weekend, Brett. There is. We, yeah. You know, it's a great time to be alive when there's a big old Roland Emmerich disaster movie happening, you know? <laughs> we've missed him. It's been a while. It it has been a hot minute. He's been, uh, he's been too busy. Who, mm, excuse me. He's been, uh. Too busy uh, recreating uh, past successes and uh, trying to win an Oscar, apparently, but uh, to no avail because he's back with a new brand new disaster movie called Moonfall. So in honor of Moonfall, Brett, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about 1994's Stargate. Ah, Stargate. 1994's Stargate, directed by Roland Emmerich and written by Emmerich and his his frequent writing collaborator Dean Devlin, and starring Kurt Russell. Yes, you heard me right. That Kurt Russell. James Spader, Jay Davidson, Vivica Linfors, Alex Alexis Cruz, uh, Mili Avital, uh, John Deal, Carlos Lachau, uh, Jimon Hansu. Yes, that Jimon Hansu. Uh, Eric Avari, French Stewart. Yes, that French Stewart. And uh, the great Richard Kind as uh, as the idiot at the... Uh, I was the 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 idiot in the uh, in the bunker, I guess. Yeah, just really some surprising cast members that popped up, and I went, "Oh, he's in this movie." Yeah, well, I mean, it's 1994. Most of these people were not famous yet. Like this is French Stewart's very first movie ever, which would explain why he's playing against most of his type for the rest I was of gonna, his career. I was going to say, because as soon as let's let's get into French Stewart now, I guess that that sounds like a good thing to do. Um, so this is 94 up to this point. He has had a recurring role on the new WKRP in Cincinnati. Um, he has he played the uh, theater manager on an episode of Seinfeld and was on an episode of the Larry Sanders show as intern. Uh, so, you know, a prolific television run. And then it's Stargate. And then he's got some minor roles, a couple episodes of The Boys Are Back, a TV show that doesn't exist. Um, but by the time we get to, oh, what time does it start here? Um, 1996, so just two years after this, he is Harry Solomon in Third Rock from the Sun. And that pretty much cements the kind of role that he's going to get for the rest of his career, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, is this how I know him? Right. I mean, most of us probably uh, most of at least most people our age are, are going to know him more, more from that. Um, he's also in future episode of this podcast, McHale's Navy, starring uh, one Tom Arnold. So look forward to that. I'm sure you aren't. Um, and also starring the great Tim Curry. So that's there's one thing to look forward to in that movie. But I mean, look, if it's got Tim Curry in it, I'm going to look forward to it. I mean, it can't be that bad, right? If it's got Tim Curry. Right. Probably. Maybe. I, I say that and I, I'm sure there's a Tim Curry movie that someone's going to come at me with that 
I'm just going to be like, oh, I forgot about that one. Uh, another future episode of this podcast, Clockstoppers. He's apparently Dr. Earl Doppler or Doppler. I don't know. In the movie Clockstoppers. Uh, and he plays Marv in Home Alone 4. Like, just really? Like, I don't know. His, he's right. had a weird career. He's Inspector Gadget in Inspector Gadget 2 because they couldn't get Matthew Broderick back, I guess. Um, I was a direct video sequel. Nobody cared. <laughs> which is, I mean, uh, oh. He was in that he was in the show Mom for a while. I know that I watched I watched like the first couple episodes of Mom and I'm like, wait, French Stewart's in this? Just like playing a chef at a restaurant that one of the characters works at? Okay, I guess. Sure. So I've never even heard of that show, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh it's uh Anna Ferris and uh, Allison Janney uh play mother and daughter. Not ringing any bells. All right. I mean it's one of those Chuck Lorre CBS things. Like you either know or you don't, and it's fine. It's I, here's the thing. It's intensely forgettable from what I remember. Like I watched a couple episodes and I was like, I I've seen all I need to see of this. Yeah. Uh, but it also has uh, Kristen Johnson in it. French Stewart's uh, Third Rock from the Sun co-star. So neat. Yeah, I just think it's neat. Um, but yeah, so now we've talked about French Stewart and we never have to talk about him again for the rest of this episode, except to mention that he somehow survives to the end of this movie. Again, you see French Stewart in a movie, you're like, that's the guy that's going to die, right? I mean, that's what I expected. But I remember watching this on video in probably like 97 and going, wait, isn't that the guy from Third Rock from the Sun? And my dad's like, huh, I guess it is. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, Brett, but Stargate was on uh, pretty frequent rotation in the Foxworthy house. We... Young Steven and his father really dug on some Roland Emmerich movies. I mean, Independence Day and um, this, uh, not so much Godzilla, but, you know, I mean, we we had some fun with some from those early Roland Emmerich movies. Uh, What was your what was your history with the movie Stargate? Uh, Not that. Um, I mean, but at the same time, it was still very like Roland Emmerich was on. I mean, maybe this is a hot take. Stop me if this is a hot take. Is Roland Emmerich the Steven Spielberg of the 90s? It's like Steven Spielberg no. was like the 80s. I'm going to say no. That's like, pretty... I mean, th- think about the movies of the 90s, like Independence Day. Huge. Mm-hmm. It was. Godzilla. Godzilla. It might have been bad, but it was big. It was, it was. promoted like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Stargate also promoted like crazy. Very big. Very big deal. Not as big as you might think. Well, it well, I mean, just like Godzilla, it, sure. you know, it did, yeah, but still, it was in your face all the time. It was there. I didn't care, but it was in my face all the time. <laughs> like, because I mean, think of think of Independence Day too. Independence Day, oh my god, that was such a huge movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was, it's, it, 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 I'd probably put it on like a top five list of '90s movies, like biggest '90s movies, hmm. like. Is a man is huge, so I, I feel like Roland Emmerich deserves at least to to be part of that conversation. Okay, I mean, I just because here's the thing: the, the the one thing I think that Spielberg has that Emmerich doesn't is the fact that Spielberg was prolific. Like that guy was coming out with a movie or two a year for a while. Like he would do like three movies in a row and then take a break. Three movies in a row, take a break. Like that guy. Spielberg has directed up to this point in his career, not counting his very first film, Duel, 32 
movies, just movies. It's not counting episodes of television shows, made for TV movies. That's just the the theatrically released features the man has directed. Um, and really, he got his start in, I would say, maybe the mid-70s. Like, that's a lot of movies. Well, I'm not talking about, like, width and breadth of work. I'm talking about influence on the pop culture at the time. Oh, okay. I mean... Okay, if that's the criteria, then I think there's probably a case to be made for Emmerich as at least one of the more influential filmmakers of the 1990s. I think you also probably need to give some credit to uh, one Quentin Tarantino, uh, who is also like he is, I think, probably to the indie scene, what maybe Emmerich is to the pop scene, um, because you've got Reservoir Dogs in 92, you've got Pulp Fiction in 94, Jackie Brown in I think 97 maybe, but I mean, Tarantino is also pumping out some really, some really great stuff in the nineties as well. His nineties output should not be ignored either. No, that's a fair point. I I, I can see that. I I mean, let's, let's turn it to our listeners. Hey, what do you guys think? um, Who do you guys think is the most influential and, and not prolific, but let's say influential director of the 1990s. Let us know. Uh, You can shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at disenfranchpod. We'd love to hear from you. Um, So yeah, all that to say you, you were not big on the Stargate. Not really. No. And it, I mean, it's definitely not yet another one of those situations where, like, why wasn't I? Because mm-hmm. um, it seems like I would have been. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of lore here, uh, but it's it's all Egyptian lore. Um, I don't know what the obsession with Egyptian mythology was in the '90s, because I don't know, because this came out before the Mummy, right? So yes, it would have come out before the Mummy. I think the Mummy is. Oh gosh! 90s. Now you now I've now I've got to look up the mummy here. Hang on. Is it nineties? Oh god! I'm gonna it is nineties. No, it's ninety. It's ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. It's ninety nine. So it's late. So this is five years. Half a decade before the mummy. Wow! Really? Okay. Yeah, See, man. when you know when you get this far removed, everything's these decades run together. Um, it, yeah, I mean, that's that's what happens when you get old, man. We're just we're just a couple of cr- crusty codgers here hosting this podcast. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, so forget I said that because I don't know if you can even think of any other examples. If they're that far apart, yeah, Egyptian mythology is whatever. I mean, um, but but here's the thing. Like, there is, I mean, there's some precedent to that. It, I think the mummy is more universal trying to reboot interest in their monster franchises like because there had been multiple attempts we're going to talk all about all of that whenever we get to the dark universe mummy the the 2017 mummy but um, like there's a long and storied history of trying universal trying to make the mummy and steven summers is the guy who finally cracks it but i i but here's the thing the fact that you get a movie like stargate you get a movie like the mummy like there is there is probably always this sort of underlying interest in Egyptology, uh, culturally speaking, because it is, it's just obscure enough that not a lot of people know it, but enough people are really invested in it that they think it's cool. And so you can, you can kind of get away with it. You can kind of, and, and not enough people know it. So you can kind of fudge some details on it and like take some liberties, not like with Greco Roman mythology, which is fairly ubiquitous or North Norse mythology, which is, up until the Thor movie is probably relatively obtuse, right? So Egyptology and the Egyptian mythology is kind of this nice balance between those two. Yeah, you're right. So that's, that's definitely, 
maybe why there was a bit of a not obsession, but just an interest in it. Yeah, just I remember kind of being interest. interested in Egyptology in high school. So yeah, briefly. I mean, because high school, so it was after this. So sure. I, mm, I yeah, I don't know, man. It just uh, for me, it was middle school, might... and it was probably right around the time this movie was coming out because this movie comes out like when I'm eleven. Like I'm yeah, the I'm, perfect age for this movie. And I'm 10, which is, I don't, I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think I've reached my appreciation for sci-fi or my mm. appreciation for Kurt Russell yet. Um, I haven't been introduced to the thing or, right. um, you know, anything else. So, I mean, you weren't even introduced is, into I mean, um, Big Trouble in Little China till like last week. So, yeah. So, so yeah, this is, this is pre like with is but it's, so it's interesting that I spoilers kind of lukewarm on this movie now. Sure. But if this movie had come out, maybe like five years later, like when the I mummy know, came out, like when the mummy came out, cause I, man, I love the mummy. I know you uh, do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, this movie comes out five years later. I'm all about it. But at the time, Eh, not so much so it just it's one of those that passed me by and i don't think my dad cared that much because my dad was the person you know right. much like you my dad was the person i, I watched movies with mm-hmm. so I well and see my dad was very very interested in anything sci-fi so if it had star in the title chances are we were at least going to see it when it came out on video now my dad hates crowds doesn't like going to movie theaters much he'll go for like big releases like he and i went and saw dune together last year but like he's gonna he's not gonna like rush to the theater for something like this um but you better believe we rented this on on vhs all the time all the time like this was like i said earlier almost constant rotation in our house like we we got a kick out of this movie for sure we thought it was good fun yeah i mean i could see that it's it's good fun i was telling you before the recording this is the quintessential Sunday afternoon, scrolling through TV. This comes on. I'm just watch it. I'm just yeah. put it on in the background. It's just, just put it on. It's an easy watch. You don't got to pay much attention. Mm-mm. That's maybe my favorite thing about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't really got to pay attention to this movie like at all. And here's here's the funny thing: like doing so, like a just the barest level of research that I did for this movie. Um, like Spader reads the script, thinks it's terrible. Um, but takes it more or less for the paycheck and probably also to, on some level to work with Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, like this is maybe the beginning of his like completely dialed down, like let's try to sap everything that makes Kurt Russell charismatic and cool out of Kurt Russell phase. Like he's got this run in the 90s that is just kind of a bit of a groaner. Like I would say... So 89 is Tango and Cash, the very last movie ever released in the 80s and future episode of this podcast. And after, so that's like his anointment as an action star, pretty much, because it's him. It was supposed to be Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Arnie pulls out, doesn't want to do it. So they basically get Kurt Russell and they cast Stallone against type. So Stallone is playing the nerd. Russell is playing the action guy. Um, the next year he is the lead of backdraft, the Ron Howard firefighter movie. After that, you've got unlawful entry. He tries to go back to comedy in 92 with captain Ron. 
it doesn't work. Captain Ron widely panned. Um, but then you've got uh, Tombstone, where he plays Wyatt Earp. He is fantastic in Tombstone, by the way. He has an un- uncredited voice cameo in Forrest Gump. Do you know what his uncredited voice cameo is in Forrest Gump? I think it's come up on this podcast before. Elvis, right? Yes, he plays Elvis. And then this movie. After this, he does Executive Decision, Escape from... Oh, wait, no. Sorry. Sorry. It was later. The one I'm thinking of was later. Uh, He does Executive Decision, which is the movie where you think it's going to be a two-hander between him and Steven Seagal, and then Steven Seagal dies in like the first 10 minutes. Yeah, even even at my young age, I knew that was weird. Yeah. Cool. So. I was like, well, this is a subversion of uh, – I have literally have not seen that since I was a child. It's like a young – that's like one of Halle Berry's early movies too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember liking it when it came out, but I, as, yeah, I don't – I haven't seen it since. I would like to revisit – honestly, I want to kind of rewatch all of these like Kurt Russell – 90s movies uh escape from la which i remember being bad but i know some people really defend and stand up for breakdown which quietly rules like breakdown is kind of awesome uh and then his last uh 90s movie maybe the one you were thinking of future episode of this podcast soldier which is the epitome of the let's strip everything cool and charismatic and awesome out of kurt russell because he does not emote at all in that movie yeah, that's exactly the one I was thinking of for that reason. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. But I, but I mean, you're you kind of like see him like breakdown. Breakdown's kind of awesome. It's basically Kurt Russell versus JT Walsh, and as dumb as that sounds, it's and like there's a giant truck chase. Like it's awesome. Like to the point where when he is in two thousand or he's in Vanilla Sky in two thousand one, it is considered a rehabilitation project. Like three years after Soldier. Like his career goes starkly down after this movie um, because everything he's in is kind of forgettable. Like Breakdown, it kind of rules, but it's not a movie people remember. It's not a movie people think about. I would encourage our listeners, if you've not seen Breakdown, go check out Breakdown because Breakdown's really awesome. Um, it someone I heard someone say Breakdown rules and I'm like, does it though? And then I watched it and I'm like, hell yeah, Breakdown slaps. Breakdown is so cool. But I think that's like the rare jewel among this kind of run of him just kind of being very uncharismatic. I think Captain Ron is maybe the last vestige of that. And since Captain Ron kind of was – people were so put off by Captain Ron, he just kind of shies away from it for a long time. Uh, the one I'm leaving out is 3,000 Miles to Graceland where he plays an Elvis impersonator alongside Kevin Costner. Uh, I remember that movie being not good. Not upset. So I don't know. Yeah. He, so that's the movie. That's the other movie he does in 2001. So I, I was wa- Nicholas Cage also in that movie. I don't think so. Let me, do, let me check. Um, so you got 3000 miles to Graceland. It is Kurt Russell, Kevin Costner, Courtney Cox, Christian Slater is who you're thinking of. Uh, yeah. Christian Slater's in that movie. And that's kind of one of those, Hey, there's these three had has beens that were really big in the nineties. Let's put them in a movie as Elvis impersonators together. Uh, crime f- or like criminal Elvis impersonators. I think that movie is that cast is wild too. Kevin Pollack, David Arquette, John Lovitz, Howie Long, Thomas Hayden church, Bo Keem Woodbine, ice T. <laughs> what a wild freaking cast in that movie. I, I don't know what to tell you, man. 3,000 Miles to Graceland. I don't remember it being good. Maybe I need to rewatch it. Maybe I don't. Here's the thing. I'm not a big Kevin Costner fan. I think I've talked about that here before. Oh, you have. You definitely have. Uh, most Hated Actor, I believe, is uh, where he falls. Yes. Yep. 
correct. I don't I don't get it. I don't understand it. I won't respond to it. But I used to did I tell you about my college tradition? Maybe. Remind if not, the this seems like I have not heard. This is probably the perfect time to revisit it cuz it's so close to the actual day. So I was um I was a bitter young man in my youth. I, I've softened my edges a little bit and not I'm not so staunchly terrible and toxic as I once was. Uh, but I used to, every year on Valentine's Day, a movie where everyone else would celebrate love, I would hate watch uh, a Kevin Costner movie. Um, and I called it, I hate Kevin Costner Day. And my friends, I got my friends to celebrate with me and we would all get together and just hate watch Kevin Costner movies together. And we'd try to pick movies that were at least good despite Kevin Costner. Things like Brian De Palma's The Untouchables or um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, something like that. We, we are, our rationale was even if Sean Connery's only in it for a little bit, it's still technically a Sean Connery movie. So it's okay. Um, it's just a Sean Connery movie that happens to have um, uh, Kevin Costner in it. But uh, I've I've mellowed out a bit since then. I no longer hate Kevin Costner, but I, uh, I, it doesn't mean I have to like his movies <laughs> or the, what he does in them. I got to say, that's uh, you have not told me that tradition. And must I say, that's one of the edgiest things I've ever heard. <laughs> what can I say? I'm hardcore. I mean, yeah, in college, apparently you were. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. It was actually an idea. So future guest on this podcast, Andrew Johnson, was a friend of mine in high school. He actually told me about a buddy of his who did the same thing for Richard Dreyfus, And I'm like, I'm stealing it. But you know who's worse than Richard Dreyfus? Kevin Costner. I'm making it about Kevin Costner. So, And so for the longest time on Valentine's Day, my friends and I would, even if they had girlfriends, their girlfriends would come too. And we'd all get together and we'd hate watch some some Kevin Costner movies together. All right. Good for you. I, uh, you Good know. for you. Um, and people will still to this day on Valentine's Day wish me happy I hate Kevin Costner Day. Like that's, well, that's, that's, cool. that's one of my legacies. That's one of the things I'll be remembered for when I die. I mean, that's cool. It turns it from something that's just kind of like cringy, edgy, into like, well, this is a tradition that you made with friends. It's kind of cool. It, and it was. It was. But also cringy, edgy. Like I'll, I'll, I'll wear both mantles, man, because they both fit. Uh, it's not one of the things I'm proudest of, but it's a thing that happens. Um, so, you know, you, well, you gotta look. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I mean, probably Valentine's Day is coming up. That's true. That's why I said this is kind of the, probably the perfect time to uh, to revisit that that story. So there you go. That, that's a thing. Yeah, there you go, listeners. Go out and celebrate your own I Hate X Actor Day. There you go. Just make it, that's you know. Doesn't have to be uh, Kevin Costner. Doesn't have to be Richard Dreyfuss. Could be, could be. Uh, if if you don't like Kurt Russell, make it a Kurt Russell. I don't know how you couldn't like Kurt Russell, but hey, maybe you don't. I don't know. Don't don't do that. Don't make it. I <laughs> hate Kurt Russell Day. Okay, what about James Spader? Can we hate James Spader? Uh, uh mm, <laughs> it's a little bit more acceptable, I think. What about what about French Stewart? Can we have an I hate French Stewart Day? No, we can't have an I hate French Stewart Day. <laughs> He's just—he's a national treasure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I pick one of those really shitty actors that has like a really bad opinion. Uh, I was—I um, don't know. There's like Louis C.K. There's, there's a couple, yeah. Um, there's a couple MCU actors right now, right? Uh, <laughs> you could uh, hate one of them. Evangeline Lilly, Letitia Wright. Um, you could—you uh, could hate uh, who's uh, Joe Rogan. You could hate him. He's pretty popular to hate right now. Uh, the yeah, Rock I mean, apparently standing up for him on Instagram. That's weird. Is Joe Rogan in any movies? I don't know. I don't know, probably. 
he was a comedian and they'd like to try to put those guys in movies for a while. I don't know. But but we're anyway, we have, we have digressed so heavily here. I almost forgot what movie we were talking about. We're all about love on this podcast, not hate. That's right. That's right. It's it's counterintuitive to what we what we discuss usually. So let's uh, change the subject and let's talk about the movie Stargate a little bit. So uh, before we get too much deeper, because we're already pretty damn deep as it is, let's break down the plot of this film with a little segment that I like to call the plot in 60 seconds. Uh, we will break out our good friend, the coin of justice, and uh, we will determine uh, which, which of us is an app. It is not a real coin it, yet. I have a real Sorry, coin. Tucker. I have a real coin in my car. And I realized like, as we were getting closer to the segment, crap, I left the coin in my car. Um, well, so sorry. <laughs> we'll have a real, we'll have a real coin soon. Tucker, we apologize. I'm not that sorry, but you know, I do love you. Tucker, I am. I'm not that sorry. I am. I Apparently Brett loves you more than I do, Tucker. Um, I do. I do. But we are going to flip the coin of justice. Brett, call the coin of justice in the air. Heads. And it is tails. Well, shit. <laughs> so that means, because I didn't finish describing this earlier, uh, that means that Brett will recount the plot of the film Stargate from 1994, starring Kurt Russell, James Spader, and um, Eric Avari. Because why not make him the third person? This oh, Jay Davidson, obviously. Jay, it's Jay Davidson. It's the third one. Um, in in sixty seconds or less. So, Brett, you let me know when you are ready, and I will start the clock, the clock of justice, the clock app of justice. Sorry. Uh, all right. Yep. Let's do it. All right. Your time starts right now. It's back in 1928. They discover in this, in this Egyptian archaeological dig, they discover some weird stuff that nobody's seen before. It looks like a giant circle. Uh, and then we fast forward and there's uh, the guy studying. Uh, he believes ancient aliens, you know, it's aliens. Um, you know, that guy. Um, and then, uh, it turns out he's not wrong, actually is aliens. Um, so he solves how to open this, how, how he solves how to open the Stargate. They go through the Stargate. Uh, also Kurt Russell is there. He has long hair, then he doesn't. That's weird. Um, and then, uh, they fight with, they, they meet some natives. They're friendly. They meet the actual aliens. They're not friendly. Um, then there's an uprising. 10 seconds. Um, and they they um, conquer the evil aliens, and everybody lives happily ever after. Except the James Patrick's character, aliens guy, stays behind. And that is time. Uh, there's also an atomic bomb that you missed. Oh yeah, yeah, the atomic bomb. I forgot about that whole storyline. Kind of, kind of an important uh, plot point here. I mean, it's an uprising and the overthrow of the old aliens. It's fine. I mean, that, sure. that was enough. Touche, but the way you the way you tell it makes you think they did it like Ewok style with like sticks and rocks and stuff. And I mean, they when in fact did they, they kind of did though. They had they had like advanced United States government weaponry. Like we've we've got some Taliban type freedom fighter figures here going up against the evil uh, communists. You know, that's we that's the kind of thing we've got going on here. I don't know if we want to describe it that way, but sure. <laughs> I mean, hey, history, history will bear me out. No, but that's I mean, that's kind of the vibe you're getting here, right? Is the Contra versus the the Russians. They overthrow the Russians. The Russians pull back and then all of a sudden, uh oh, it's the Taliban. And now there are enemies. Uh oh, um, you know, it, it's it's 
it's all in how you kind of spin the thing. Like the, the, our allies, the enemy of my enemy is my friend until oops, they're my enemy. And we're the ones who armed them. What? Like, Crazy I don't know. How that happened. <laughs> right. I don't know. That seems like a good idea for a sequel. I mean, sure. But so, I mean, maybe now is a good opportunity. Uh, so this movie didn't get a sequel. No. But it got a very successful television series. Right. So, yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. So the original plan for this movie was to make it a trilogy of films. So it was supposed to be this movie. And then I think they were, they were planning on doing a Norse mythology movie and a Greco-Roman mythology movie. That's my understanding. Um, but this movie did, was not financially viable enough to warrant a sequel. Uh, and so as it kind of grew in its cult status on on like home video and, and, you know, back when movies were allowed to be successful on home video, a few years later, there's a Stargate TV show on, I want to say, is it Showtime or is it HBO? Uh, You're the one that watched a little bit. It was on sci-fi for a long time. I don't know where it started though. Let me look that up here real quick. This is uh this is the part where I Joe Rogan this and uh look up information uh while we are recording. It's the second time we've invoked that man's name. Could we stop that please? Yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I mean, he's like our 10th he who shall not be named at this point. The series premiered on Showtime on July 27th, 1997 and moved to the Sci-Fi Channel on June 7th, 2002. The reason I know it was on a premium channel is because I was not, I I never started watching the show. So by the time it moved to the sci-fi channel and I was able to watch it, I didn't care to watch it because I had missed years of content on the show that I was at that point was going to be too difficult for me to try to catch up on. That is exactly why I didn't watch it either. Um, It's, it's definitely the game of Thrones situation for me. I didn't have that channel when the show started. So by the time I was able to access the show, I was too far behind, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, this was before Netflix. This was before, you know, binge watching television. Sure. You know, you'd, when you had television at your fingertips on the old internet. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, how am I going to go back and watch the beginning of the show? I can't. So yeah. I just won't watch it at all. Right. And that's kind of where I felt. And it also looked very uh, Sequest to me, which was not a show I was particularly fond of outside of the Roy Scheider talking dolphin of it all. So that, that was, I mean, it wasn't a show and I was like, well, they didn't get the original actors back. Like there's not, there's no uh, James Spader. There's no uh, Kurt Russell. And I mean, it starred MacGyver. Like I like MacGyver, but I'm like, really MacGyver, what are you doing here? But if I recall, if I recall, it is the same characters just with different actors. And the first two to four episodes retell the movie. Oh, weird. Okay, I don't like that. I think, I think, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that's what happens. Okay. So it kind of resets everything. So one that way, I will tell you. Smooth. One thing I will tell you, Brett, is that if you want to watch it, apparently all 10 seasons are on Netflix right now. And have been for a long time. Okay. I've just never never gotten around to watching them. Well, and see, and now it's a problem of, and again, this just kind of speaks to the way I engage with media, is there's 10 seasons with like 20 episodes a season. Like, am I one, am I really willing to devote like 10 full days or more of my life to watching a TV show that's been off the air for 20 years? 
I don't know. <laughs> even if it is, even if it is apparently really good. Right. Uh, and I've, I've heard nothing but good things about it. Like nothing about the show's quality. It's not the quality of the show that makes me hesitant. It's the fact that there's so much of it that like, I mean, you tell me that a show is like five seasons or you tell me that a show is currently on its like third season. I'll be like, I can catch up with that. That's not a problem. And particularly nowadays when seasons of TV are like 10 to 12 episodes in length. But like, this is the nineties. Uh, these are like 20 episode seasons. Like that's insane and really tough to catch up. It's, it's honestly the thing that's kept me from watching the X-Files for all these years. A show that by all accounts is incredible. And so many of my friends are fans of, but like you put oh, yeah. Twin Peaks in front of me, like two seasons, a movie, and then an 18 uh, episode miniseries. I can, I can absolutely fuck with that. Yeah. Which, which it just occurred to me that, yeah, you totally wouldn't have watched the X-Files, but my God, man, you would love the X-Files. Like just, I, right, I know that's, I would. A, See, that's, 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 that's the thing. Something I, I would sit down and say, yes, Steven, do that. Like, seriously, just do that. Like, but again, I would that's encourage like, you to do that. That's like 12 seasons of television. Um, that's and, fine, man. Like, skip the last two, you know, when Mulder leaves. Uh, you don't got to watch those. But here's uh, the thing, but, man. It's got Robert F. and Patrick, and I love Robert F. and Patrick. Well, sure, he's good, but the show really takes a dip in quality. I mean, um, touche. I mean you're, you're a completionist, and you will watch them anyway. But, I will. But I'm just saying, I would encourage you to do that because it's so good and because I know you would love it. And especially with your, you know, newfound appreciation of horror and your love of sci-fi in general, uh, you would very much enjoy that entire series. So you should. Do, do you want to hear a really silly thing about me and the X Files? I would love to. Uh, so this is again. This goes back to my to my youth. Uh, I had never seen at this at this point when the X-Files movie came out I had never seen an episode of the X-Files I knew there were characters named Mulder and Scully I knew they were looking for aliens that is the extent of what I knew about the X-Files but you know what I did Brett was that I totally went and saw the X-Files movie in theaters with my cousin do you know how many times I saw the X-Files movie in theaters Brett more than twice nope just twice okay but still I had is it never because you had no idea what was going on the first time no, um, it was because I think my dad wanted to see it or something. And we were, and I, I don't think he had ever seen an episode of the X-Files. So it was, it's one of those weird things like a movie comes out based on a TV show that I've never seen. And I'm like, I want to watch that. That's my that's the story of me and Serenity, honestly. Like I watch I watched the movie Serenity uh, by like our the third he who must not be named that we've ever had on this podcast. Um, and I'm. Um, my dad and I are like, that's because, again, it's sci fi. If it's got the word star in it or if it's got spaceships in the trailer, we're going to see it. Uh, and we leave going. That was really good. Do you know it was based on a TV show? It was. We should watch that. My dad goes out and buys the DVD box set like that was. And we watched it in like two days. Like that was our that was our serenity story. Like that was just the thing that we did. So like I so, yeah, I saw X-Files twice in theaters. Why did I see X-Files twice in theaters? Hell if I know. But I did. Well, all right. All right. That's cool. Um, and honestly, that has been the, the the majority of my exposure to the X-Files. I've watched, I think, maybe five episodes of the actual show proper. You should really just watch the whole thing, man. I know it's a big undertaking. It's 12 seasons. It's it's a big deal. It's, you know. Yeah, I just made it a summer up, project. I don't know if it's actually 12. Oh, man. Summer project. 
Make it a summer project. <sighs> Maybe. I'm trying to watch all the movies of David Cronenberg right now, so that is really just monopolizing so much of my time. Well, sure, but he doesn't have an infinity number of movies, Stephen, when you're done with this. 22. I'm almost halfway through. I'm on. So X-Files actually had 11 seasons, uh, and I don't know if that counts the revival or not. Let's find out if that counts the revival or not. That does include the revival. I also love that the X-Files was so popular um, that it outlasted all of Chris Columbus's other shows or not Chris Columbus, um, Chris Carter, all of Chris Carter's other shows so that all of those shows had their finales, quote unquote, on the X-Files as kind of like backdoor. You've heard of backdoor pilots as these were like backdoor finales, like the Lone Gunman and Millennium. They like all had their finales on the X-Files. That's another weird thing that I know. I mean, that's, that's a cool bit of trivia. It is. That's that's the thing that happened. It has nothing to do with Stargate, but you know, no, which we should get back to. But we again, should. Hey, you know, this summer, make, make it Stevens X Files summer. You know, um, watch all the X Files. So, so tweeted us hashtag Stevens X Files summer if you want me to do that this summer and tweet about it. Because uh, if if I'm good at anything, it's tweeting about random bullshit I'm doing. And and hey, do you want to do something with a little bit more alliteration? Hashtag Brett Stargate Summer. Maybe I'll watch the Stargate series. This no, no, you need to watch X Files with me. We need to watch X Files together. I, okay, I mean I've seen most of <laughs> X Files already, but sure, I'll watch it again. <laughs> uh, I'm and, mad about it. And and then we can do maybe next summer will be Brett Stargate Summer. All right, all right, I'm into that. That's fine. And, and then I'll watch not, Stargate. Not like it's you. going anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe an asteroid will come and put us all out of our misery by then. Who knows? God, I hope so. <laughs> so this is what happens when um, Stephen has a long day and is super punchy uh, when we record at night. So, hey. But it, yeah, hopefully it makes for an entertaining uh, episode at any rate. Um, so Stargate, 1994. Um does it bear a, a good deal of similarity with Disney's Atlantis, the lost empire? Yes. Is that intentional? Ah, it's kind of fun though. Um, James Spader, Kurt Russell. Um, like we've talked about, there is one moment in this movie where I feel like we get a glimpse of the, of the, the good Kurt Russell, like the Kurt Russell that I like. Uh, and it's the moment where they're like searching, they're like bringing the tribute to Ra at the end, right before the uprising. And they're like pulling the hoods off of everybody and they get to Kurt Russell and he winks at him. He's like, how you doing? And they're like headbutts him. And I'm like, hell yeah, that's what I want. That's, that's, there's a little bit of Jack Burton in those eyes in that moment. But like the rest of the movie is just so stoic. And like, I get it. He's playing a father who's traumatized by the death of his child. Like, I'm not asking him to be like quipping every second, but you know, and then he, he says, Hey, give my regards to King Tut asshole. That's awesome. Like, I love that. Yeah. That was, yeah, I was going to say that too. Like there's the, near the end. They're like, like, okay, like you, Kurt, you've done this the whole movie. We're going to, yeah. we're going to let you be yourself a little bit. Gonna like have a little fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I should have a little fun. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and at that point I'm just like, well, it's about damn time. Like it's about damn time. So, um, so yeah, man, I don't know. Like, um, like they're, I generally like Kurt Russell, but this is probably like my least favorite time of Kurt Russell's career. Like everything between between Captain Ron and uh, and Vanilla Sky, I'm just kind of out on Kurt Russell. Um, and I mean, it's just to say, like this movie in general is just. I mean, it's not. It's not boring. There's definitely parts of it that are boring. Yeah, um, like I think, those exposition dumps, baby. 
Uh, yeah, those and like the lot. What really started to get on my nerves was that like you have two groups of people in this movie, like they and they don't speak the same language for mm-hmm. most of the movie, and it's just kind of frustrating because mm-hmm. I, now I mean I they they don't have subtitles for what the you know the indigenous people are saying, mm-hmm. so. It's off put. Not until much like, later in the movie. Not until much later, yeah. Except except for Ra. They they translate what Ra's saying, right? Do they? Yeah, I think they do. Well, but again, it's only when he's talking to Daniel who understands them. And by that point, like it's later in the movie after he's learned the language. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I had subtitles on for the whole thing and I couldn't remember the same. When they translated and when they don't. Um which yeah, hashtag watch movies with subtitles. Um that's a thing right now i i have watched movies with subtitles for years like it's just a thing i do now like it just makes it easier to understand everything you know especially in action movies like this where mm-hmm. you know it can go from dialogue that is five on the dial of volume to action that is 500 on the dial of volume 100 percent and you're scrambling for the remote to turn it down. That was me watching, honestly, a couple of those Fast and Furious movies when I did that rewatch a couple or that, that watch through a few years ago. Like there was one of those, like my wife was asleep. I was in the living room trying to watch it quietly. I can't hear the dialogue. So I'm cranking up the volume. And then all of a sudden an action scene. So I'm cranking the volume down. For some reason, I wasn't able to watch it with subtitles. I don't remember why. Oh, it was because I was watching on my buddy's Plex server and he didn't upload the subtitles. That's why. But yeah. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah, family. Anyway, um, exactly. I mean, that's really all you need to know. It's pretty much the doubt. Family, 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 family. That's all they say is family, and then that's right. Does something really crazy. I mean, which is why uh, Groot was such a big, you know, step up for Vin Diesel because he went from saying one word all the time to saying three. I mean, that's <laughs> takes a lot of trust. <laughs> the range on that guy. <laughs> the range, such range. So much rain. Uh, but yeah, like that's, that's where I, f- cause there's just a lot of it. Like when the, just because like the, this, the, it was never more prominent than the scene with Kurt Russell and the kid showing him the lighter and, and whatnot. And like, it's Kurt Russell. Great kid is okay. But like, I mean, he's a kid. He's doing, he's doing his best. And, but it, I, I see also- what they He's a kid what they were going up against Kurt Russell. I mean, come on. I mean, I see what they were trying to do, but it's just like it, it wasn't it wasn't translating well. And maybe that's just because this was after already a long swath of movie where, like, you can't understand what half of the actors are saying. So this movie is it's pretty neatly divided into like four. It's, there's a weird four act structure going on in this movie. Like the first act is. Like the first quarter of this movie, literally, like I, I put a stopwatch to it. James Spader steps through the Stargate at minute 30 on the nugget, pretty much. Like it's like 2954 or something when he like steps through the Stargate. Um, really, really close. Um, and then the next part of the movie is the understanding the natives. The th- next third is the, oh, here's the conflict with the aliens. Uh, the alien oppressors. And then the last quarter is, Oh, Hey, we can overcome. Like that's kind of how this movie is divided up very, very neatly. Um, so there is a structure to it, but like uh, those middle couple of sections 
particularly that second quarter tend to be a bit of a slog while you're building to that back quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot going on. It's just learning about who these people are and learning about their culture and where they came from. But like, it's, you have to give that all to the actors' performances if you're going to do this thing where we can't understand what they're saying. Correct. And some of the actors do a great job, and some of them don't. Yeah. And it just it that it makes it very uneven and it falls flat. Because don't get me wrong, don't get it twisted. I don't care that they don't speak our language. Don't don't do that. Um, I just like <laughs> I was about to say. Well, like I, I immediately thought, like some motherfucker out there is going to be like, oh, "It was almost you, me, Brett. I was almost that motherfucker." <laughs> you know better, Stephen. I know that's, but that's why I was going to do it, just to like, kind of like, hee 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 hee, we're playing. <laughs> sure, right? Um, <laughs> like you like to do, I do. Uh, but like, I just, it's, it, it's a fine line you got to walk, right? Because otherwise, you're losing me. Because. Because it's a movie. You're trying to tell a story. If I can't understand the story you're telling, like it's well, and there's there's it is a bit of a tightrope because you've got on the one hand you've got all this lore, this very dense lore. Like you're trying to build a completely alien world and help make it make sense in relation to our world, which is an admirable goal. Um, you're trying to you know speak uh, on some level to indigenous peoples to varying degrees of success. Um, you're trying to do this like intellectuals versus grunts kind of thing. Um, you've got James Spader as kind of this stranger in a strange land in more ways than one. Yes. He's on an alien land, but he's also in the middle of these like stoic, you know, mm, alpha male military guys. And he is very much a beta, um, which is very, against type for everything he had really done up to this point, but we can come back to James Spader later. He <laughs> Spader later. Um, so, so, I mean, you've got kind of all that, like there's, there are a lot of different pieces to this and I don't think that they're all paid off as well as they should be. Uh, maybe that's a problem with the writing. It's almost certainly a problem with the writing. Right. But like there's um, there, there are some issues there that I don't think are, are resolved as well as they should. Like when your one female character is essentially a, a tribute to one of the characters. Um, I mean, they do some things to try to make her seem like a quote, strong female character. Like she's the one who can actually read and write. She's kind of, I guess, taught herself were, I guess, supposed to believe that she knows how to read and write because she knows how to read and write. She teaches Spader how to speak the language because he knows how to read it. He just can't speak it. And she can read it and speak it. And so once once he figures out the vowels, which is kind of funny to me, um, he's pretty well able to to speak the language very well. So because of, uh, the reason that is funny is because uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs are pretty much all consonants. Uh, so if you, and that's what that scene between the two of them in the cave is so interesting is because he's literally trying to figure out what the vowels are. Like there's the thing he's always thought that they were. And then she helps him. No, it's actually this thing. And he's like, oh, okay. So what about this? And that's literally how he figures out the language, which I, once you know what that is, I think is kind of interesting. If you don't know what that is, you're bored out of your fucking skull. Yeah. Which, which is why I found that part, maybe the most interesting mm -hmm. because we're, we're, he's learning the language, you know, that bit of info about it. And you're also getting some lore in there. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I think so. Maybe what it is, I was just thinking about this is 
the second act goes on for too long, I think is what it is. Okay. Uh, I'm willing to believe that. Cause like, I don't, cause like, I mean, look at, I don't know why Encino man was the first movie that came up as an example of like a character that doesn't know the language and then has to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, God knows why that popped into my head. I mean, past episode Encino man, go check it out. Sure. Maybe that's why. I was trying to think of And also we were talking about the mummy earlier. Brendan Fraser is in the mummy. You love Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser got his start in Encino Man. It's full circle, man. Sure. Yeah. My brain doing some, making some connections subconsciously. Doing some crazy Olympic gymnast level somersaults to get to that point. But hey, here's to you, buddy. But yeah, so see, that's an example of a movie where character doesn't know the language, has trouble interacting with people because he doesn't understand the language. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's a transition fast enough that you don't really even notice or that you don't really even care. Well, they skip a lot of that stuff. Like it's it's more about, oh, the wacky hijinks that ensue from him not understanding things versus the um, okay, like there's like some serious communication breakdown. Like there are some moments for comedy, like the him trying the the uh, Butterfinger or um, the Fifth Avenue. Oh, is it a Fifth Avenue? My bad. Um, and uh, I honestly was like making notes on my phone during that scene. And I looked up and saw him bite into what I thought was a Butterfinger. So that makes sense. That tracks fifth Avenue. Um, they tried to get fifth. They tried to get Butterfinger, but Butterfinger said no in a very, in a wacky, uh, ET Eminem Reese's pieces kind of shenanigans. I don't know if that's true, but that'd be funny if it were source dude. Just trust me. (laughs) Um, but uh, or the scene with the 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 taste like chicken scene, which is I remember thinking was like the height of comedy as a child um, like that. Just as as a as a as a young adolescent, I thought that was just where comedy began and ended. And I think that's that's what I want to see in interactions like this in a movie, because that's way more. It's more entertaining. It's more interesting. Mm-hmm. I get that my Encino Man Stargate comparison is not one to one, but I mean it's no, like not at it's all, not one, not even a little bit. But it's you know, it's honestly, dances with but, wolves might be probably a closer example. Because I mean, Stargate one, my, the best example. It, honestly, no one does this kind of stuff better than John McTiernan. But like, there's a scene in the Thirteenth Warrior, which is not a movie I particularly like. It's fine. It's just not like one of my favorite John McTiernan movies, where Antonio Banderas, who plays. Um, a Muslim is sitting amongst these Norsemen who are all speaking their own language. And he's literally just sitting there listening to them and slowly begins to figure out what they're saying, like just by listening, just by observing. And he does this like night after night after night. And the way that that's communicated cinematically is because Banderas is the main character. He's speaking English, but the Norsemen are all speaking their own language until he comes across a word that he learns. And then all of a sudden that word is translated into English and the rest of it is just North Norsemen speak. And sudden, and as it goes on, more and more words are replaced by English words until finally he understands everything that they're saying and then speaks back to them in their own language. And so everything is from that point on in the movie, everything's in English. Um, it's the same with hunt for red October. Like he does this in hunt for red October too, which is a movie that freaking rules. Um, maybe the second best John McTiernan movie, um, where it zooms in on, um, a character who's speaking Russian, like zooms in on his lips until he gets to a word that means the same. That's the same in Russian as it is in English, which I think is like Armageddon. 
and then it zooms out and he's speaking English. So the Russians are basically speaking English for the rest of the movie until they meet the Americans. And then they're, they're speaking a, a kind of like Russian English hybrid because it's all done through the uh, Jack Ryan character. But I, I don't know. I think all that to say, I think McTiernan does that kind of stuff best in terms of the cinematic nature of it all. And I think guys like Roland Emmerich and whoever the director of Encino Man is, I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but they're not quite able to, 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 to get to that point. Like, I don't know. I don't think it works as well in those other, or Kevin Costner and dances with wolves to invoke him again. Uh, I don't think they're able to, to do that quite as well to, to make it to a point where it's that interesting or, or that cinematically compelling. But no, I think no one does that better than, than John McTiernan, like by far. So yeah, in in classic Brett fashion, you have explained what I was trying to say much better than how I said it. Uh, so there you go. Thank this you. Is, this, this this is why we're good partners, man. This is why we're good podcast partners. It's, it's the if it's the give and take. So yeah, absolutely. But no, that's I mean, but I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I don't think it's done particularly well here. I think it's a difficult thing to do well. Is basically the point I'm making. So I, I, I don't fault Emmerich so much as I, I just praise McTiernan for making a thing that is fundamentally not that cinematically compelling. Cinematically compelling. Yeah. It would have been cool if John McTiernan directed this movie. Honestly, yeah. But in '94, John McTiernan was, I think, either no, he was just coming off of a movie that kind of tanked his career for a while. A movie you kind of love, and a movie we have scheduled to cover later this year. Do you know what it is? Absolutely not. It stars an actor that we have invoked on this podcast already in conjunction with an action film. Is it Tim Curry? It's not Tim Curry. I'm going to, I'm going to spoil something for our listeners here with my next hint. It's an actor that we're going to devote an entire month to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Correct. So that's something you can look forward to later this year. And we're going to cover this movie during that month. It's a movie Uh, you love. Is it Last Action Hero? It's Last Action Hero. Shit, yeah, man. I just said, uh, man, I remembered that we're going to cover that movie, and I got really happy all the time. <laughs> so God, I love that movie. Actually, this year he is making the second best Die Hard movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance, which comes out in 95. So that's why John McTiernan does not direct um, uh, does not direct Stargate. But I think John McTiernan would have found a way to make that learning the language linguistics thing a lot more compelling to watch. I would agree. Yeah. So I, I don't know. That's that's me. Um, let's talk James Spader a little bit. Uh, do you have some any thoughts or feelings about James Spader? Uh, look, I, I want to say that this is literally the only movie I know him from. But then I know you're going to tell me there's more. Uh, here's the thing. I know, you know, at least one other movie he was in because he was in a Marvel movie. Was he now? He was Ultron. Was he? He was. Yes, he was Ultron. In Avengers Age of Ultron, which is why that voice is so silky, sweet and smooth, baby. But he is he's literally been on the show The Blacklist since 2013. So that is Age of Ultron is literally the last movie that he has done Uh, before Blacklist. He was a regular on The Office for two years. Weirdly, Um, before that, he was on Boston Legal for four years. Like he's he's been a TV guy 
for a while. Before that, he was on The Practice for, for a year. So, I mean, he's been a TV guy since about 2003. But the lead up to Stargate is particular because this is not the kind of role he was playing. Like his first big role was probably 1986, uh, John Hughes, Pretty in Pink. Uh, you've got he's in Mannequin in 87, Baby Boom. So he's doing a lot of comedies, less than zero. He's in Wall Street and Oliver Stone's Wall Street in 1987. Playing okay, i Wall Street. Playing probably a very stereotypical 80s guy. And then he gets into like the sex thriller thing. He's in Sex, Lies, and Videotape in 89. Um, Bad Influence, White Palace. Uh, he, he does have a role in the Tim Robbins film, Bob Roberts. Um, he's in True Colors, a movie I... I feel like I should know, but I don't. Uh, in 1991, him and John Cusack. There you go. You like John Cusack. I do. Um, and then he is in a movie I know. I've, he's actually the villain in another 1994 movie starring Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer, directed by Mike Nichols. Uh, kind of horror adjacent in a weird way. It's Wolf. Uh, Wolf. Have you seen Wolf? Uh, I don't think so. I think I just spoiled the ending of Wolf for you then. I'm sorry. Um, and then the next year after that, a movie or two years after Stargate. So that's his, those are his two 94 movies, uh, Wolf and Stargate. And then, uh, he does another one word title movie that I will definitely be watching very soon in my watch through of all David Cronenberg's films, Crash, a movie about a man who fetishizes having sex in car crashes with Holly Hunter. Weird. Yeah. I mean, it's Cronenberg, man. Like, um, have you seen Videodrome? Uh, not recently. Videodrome's fucking wild, dude. Like that movie is insane, but also I incredible. And I, I remember that. I love I it and it. was terrified at the same time. Like, it, and then he, and then he does two days in the Valley with Charlize Theron. I know he's having sex with Charlize Theron in that movie. Like, but that's, and then he's like, He's doing, speaking of sex, secretary, like he's, he is in a weird way, this kind of like sleazy guy for a lot of his roles. But this movie, he's, this may be one of the more wholesome roles that he's, he's just like a nerdy dude. Like it's so against type and so not the role you would, if you were a following Spader's career up to this point, not the role you would be expecting him to play in this movie. Uh, but he, I think he, he does it fairly well. He, he avails himself well, even though he thought admittedly like i said earlier thought the script was terrible and took it for the money he's like yes acting's a passion but it's also a job and sometimes you got to take jobs for the money so that's what i did with stargate because they were going to pay me a lot of money to be in that movie so i don't blame him yeah i think he does a great job uh, it's kind yeah. it's kind of weird that like i don't know i guess this was you know this is way before mcu and signing people to multi-picture deals but like, mm -hmm. you know if you plan to do a trilogy with this thing why wouldn't you sign him to more than one? Because if he didn't, if he only wanted to do this for the money, he probably wasn't going to do any sequels. He might, it depends on how much money. And here's the thing. If this had been much more financially lucrative, they would have probably shelled out to get both him and Kurt Russell back. Not Jay Davidson, because he, he gets nuked. And here's the thing. Last movie Jay Davidson ever does is Stargate. And it is, you ready for this? His second movie. Oof. Do you know what his first movie was? No. Brett, Stephen, are you familiar with a little film called The Crying Game? I'm familiar with it. What do you know about The Crying Game? Um, I know it's disturbing. Do you know why it's disturbing? 
I don't remember. There was a time in my life where I did, but I probably blocked it out. Okay. So The Crying Game is a movie. It is uh, is an Academy Award winning movie. Uh, and it was known for its big twist. Uh, but it's directed by Neil Jordan, who is a director who would go on to direct uh, such films as Greta, Michael Collins, Breakfast on Pluto, as couple of the things I don't really know about, but um, this is probably his big movie. He's like nominated for a couple of, he directed the Bob Hoskins film, Mona Lisa as well, or at least wrote it. I think he might've directed it too. Yes, he did. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Um, but it is a movie about a, I want to make sure I get the details right. Cause it's, I've, I've only ever seen one scene from it and it is the scene from this movie, a British soldier kidnapped by IRA terrorists soon befriends one of his captors who then becomes drawn to the into the soldier's world. The soldier is played by Forrest Whitaker, uh, and he has a girlfriend named Dill. And uh, the main character, Fergus, gets involved with Dill uh, until there is a sexy sex scene uh, wherein um, Fergus begins uh, kissing down Dill's body uh, until he comes face-to-face with Dill's penis. Uh, yes, Dill is played by Jay Davidson, and she is a man. That is the, quote, disturbing scene in uh, The Crying Game. And it was, for 1992, pretty radical. Um, In fact, this was one of the early, uh, like, Miramax trying to, like, sweep the Oscars kind of movies. Um, So not to invoke, you know, the horrible, terrible, no good, very bad Weinsteins. Um, This was uh, kind of one of their, the things they put a lot of their money behind and a lot of their influence behind. it gets uh, nominations for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Stephen Ray, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Jay Davidson, actually gets nominated for an Oscar for his very first movie, Best Director and Best Film Editing, and actually wins Best Screenplay for a movie written directed written directly for the screen. Um, so actually gets Best Original Screenplay, which is, that's kind of one of those movies where you're like, okay, we'll throw you a bone, you'll get screenplay, and that's your, that's your reward. Um, But like, so he does the crying game is like huge. Like people are like clamoring to get him in something else. Doesn't really like fame. He's a, he's a model um, and is known kind of for his androgynous look. Um, He's also, um, he's also gay, uh, which at the time did not make his androgyny did not make him particularly popular because it was not in vogue apparently in the gay community in 94, but he kind of doesn't like fame. He doesn't like the attention. He just kind of wants to do his own thing. So he basically decides I'm not going to do any more movies. They offer him Stargate. He says, I don't really want to do this. I kind of just want to stay home and maybe do like some photo shoots or something. So I'm going to ask for just the most ludicrous sum of money I can think of $1 million. And so he goes, okay, I'll do it if you give me a million dollars. And they say, sold, Jay Davidson. We want Academy Award uh, nominee Jay Davidson in our movie. And so at that point, he's like, well, I guess I have to. They're, they're going to match my quote. But uh, this is the last movie he ever does. He has no real acting experience to speak of. Uh, he's literally just done these two movies. Um, and he's done. He did a TV movie called Jiggery Pokery in 94 and then is in a short film as a Nazi photographer in a, a little movie called the Borg Hilda project. Um, but that's, that's it. Like n- those are his two major roles. Uh, I would say only 
John Cazale is able to, is able to do more with less because John Cazale had like five movie roles and they were all nominated for best picture or something wild like that. Um, one of these days we might get to John Cazale. I don't know. Um, but yeah, wild, absolutely wild that we, uh, that, that Jay Davidson is in. I, I just think honestly, it's worth talking about this movie just to talk about Jay Davidson for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let me, first of all, let me walk back what I said about the crying game. It's not really that disturbing. No, it's really not. I, I remember there being like a, it was a big thing. Maybe just maybe what I was remembering. It was a big deal in the nineties and, Everybody made jokes about how disturbing it was. It, it, that was the joke, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah and, so. but again, it's in, and it's one of those things like, it, again, we're 30 years on from it at this point. Like that's not that disturbing at this point. Like, um, like not but, even at all. Like no, not even it's in not 90, in 92, it would probably have been seen as disturbing. But again, I think that speaks more to the mores of the nineties than it does to anything within the content of that movie, honestly. Uh, it's not a movie that I've seen. I've, I've literally just watched those couple of scenes and that's like the scene leading up to it and that one is pretty much all I've seen of that movie. Um, so I won't, at some point I'm going to do probably a Neil Jordan watch through and, and I'll get to it, but, um, or maybe just, you know, complete my Jay Davidson run and watch it. I don't know, but I, I do want to see it. I, I'm, I'm curious as to how it's going to stand up to the 21st century kind of way of looking at, at things at, at sexuality in particular. Um, I'm sure it's bound to stand up better than say, Oh, I don't know. an Ace Ventura. Yeah, I would hope so. Uh, <laughs> that movie is awful. Uh, yeah. A movie that I used to think was pretty hilarious, but don't so much anymore. I was never a Jim Carrey fan. Cause my parents weren't Jim Carrey fans. So that's, that's my out. I was I was a huge Jim Carrey fan. I, I still am, honestly. I think he's definitely he's weird now, but he's like this really yeah, he's really he's weird like, now. He's like super intellectual weird though. I would like not be surprised of, to learn that Jim Carrey was anti vax, honestly. I don't know if he's that kind of weird. I I don't get I don't get that vibe from he him. He was married but, to Jenny McCarthy for a long time and she thinks vaccines cause autism. So Well that's why but, it really wouldn't surprise me. Uh sure. But that was also pre-weird Jim Carrey, I think. And they weren't married for that long. I don't know, man. They they did they did get divorced, so Oh I know, and now she's married to Marky Mark's little brother. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But you know, it honestly I I'm just saying to. I'm not saying he is, I don't he is. Want to I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me. I mean and I get that. He he's definitely that level of weird, but I don't know he is if he's that kind of weird. Um, he seems, he, I don't know. It, it, did you ever watch the the documentary that he did about man of the moon? Yeah. How, the making of that movie. Honestly, I did not. Uh, that's one of those, like I finished watching that and I'm like, damn, Jim Carrey's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you watch it without him sort of like explaining it, yeah, I would agree. But like, I thought it was fascinating. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's an interesting, as an actor, I will say it's an interesting look into his process for sure. Um, but on the whole, I was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's fine. No, whereas, I, I, whereas I watched it and had a much deeper appreciation for him as like an actor and his weirdness than well, I, I mean, did before. The thing that always kind of, I found weird about that whole thing was that he, his next big movie was the Grinch, the biggest film of 2001 hashtag never forget where he is 
Ron Howard wants him to read for the Grinch, but he's so in character as Andy, uh, Andy Kaufman, that he goes, um, he goes, well, I'm Andy, so I can't um, audition for Jim. But what I can do is I can give you my impression of Jim Carrey's impression of the Grinch and tell you what that would be like. And so that's how he auditioned for the Grinch and got the role, which is, um, I don't know about you, Bam, fucking weird. <laughs> but but I'm kind of laughing about it. It's like, it's so weird. It comes back around. Like it goes like, it's so crazy that it's like, this is really fucked up. But it's a, but then it circles. It's so weird. It circles back around to funny See, and like it, inspired. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, for me, I'm just like, can you be more up your own ass about a thing? Like, I don't know. Well, so, well, Maybe so, I'm okay. wrong. So here's, 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 here's my argument. Look at that and compare it to how Jared Leto does method acting. Touche. Um, but here's the thing. I think they're two sides of the same coin. Like method acting is, n- is not a type of acting that I particularly enjoy um, or get behind. But that's me. Like there are great method actors. I think, you know, for every Jim Carrey or Jared Leto, there's a, a Daniel Day-Lewis or a Russell Crowe out there who's not quite as, um, I don't know, not quite as autoerotic about the whole process. I think Russell Crowe maybe could get there, but like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, there are times when I agree with Paul Newman, there's nothing more boring than listening to an actor talk about acting. Like it's just, it's so fucking boring. Like, I don't want to know your process. I don't know when I want to know how the sausage is made. Just, just, just get up there and show me something cool. Give me a good performance. I don't care how you get there unless it's a good performance. Like one of the things that pisses me off so much about stories of Jared Leto's Joker is he does all of that method for that fucking performance. Like that is a terrible performance. Don't at me Snyder bros. I don't want to hear it. Like that is a fucking awful performance in a terrible movie, maybe one of the worst of the DCEU movies. And that's saying something. And it, it becomes one of those, like Griffin Newman, I think did this really well, where he breaks down, like you get an Oscar winner as the Joker, Jack Nicholson. And then the next actor to play the Joker is Heath Ledger, who wins an Oscar for playing the Joker. And then the next actor you get is an Academy Award winner, Jared Leto, to play the Joker. And then after that, the next actor to play the Joker is Joaquin Phoenix, who wins his Oscar for playing the Joker. Like, it's just a weird it, it's a weird coincidence is is what I'm saying. But I think one of the worst things we did as a society was let Jared Leto win an Oscar. Honestly, I agree, particularly <laughs> for the movie that he won his Oscar for, which, again, is the performance is not that good. It's just kind of one of those one of those performances. The Oscars don't give awards for good acting they give awards for most acting and that's i mean that's why leonardo dicaprio won his oscar for the revenant which is not his best performance um it was his biggest performance it was the performance that we took the most time studying but it was by no means his best performance yeah which is why the academy sucks uh the oscars are bad um and And getting worse and we should just do away with them altogether but Um, uh all i'm saying is if um Oh shit! What's that movie that was really cloying and terrible? I don't know if a mo- if a movie that's really cloying and terrible wins the Oscars this year, I'm I'm gonna rip my desk from its moorings and tilt tip it over. I don't know. Probably will. Here's my here's my prediction. Don't look up wins best picture this year. That's that's the that's the fucking movie I was thinking of. I it better not. It better fucking not. 
<laughs> I I I hope you're wrong. I really do. We don't need to validate all of Filmbro Twitter, please. But here's the thing. I hope you're wrong, but I know you're probably right. And I hate it. Yeah, same. But But know. anyway, Stargate, right? That's right. So apparently Roland Emmerich decided he wanted to become a director according to his IMDb profile after watching Star Wars. So Look at that. the first of a generation of Star Wars nerds that decided that they wanted to make movies. Maybe we should let Roland Emmerich direct a Star Wars. Never mind. I'm not even going to complete that thought. <laughs> no, don't. Nope. Not don't going to happen. That. Nope. Don't. Don't do that. Not going to do it. Star Wars fandom would hate it, probably. Uh, I mean, Star Wars fandom hates everything. Star Wars fandom hates Star Wars. <laughs> they really do. I, yeah. Star, Star Wars fans hate Star Wars. It's just that's just what it is. Look, you. You could. But here's the thing: the, I also hate Star Wars, so whatever. Like, you could take the big, like, give me the biggest Star Wars fan ever. Hold a contest; I don't care. Then let them write their own script. Let them direct it. Let them cast it. Let them do the set design. Let give them complete creative control of everything about it. They will then hate it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it will be bad. It will be bad. It would be bad, and then they would hate it. The it person, th- this person, this person that made it all 100% whole cloth would hate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, speaking of Academy Award nominees in this movie, uh, Jaiman Hansu would go on to be nominated for an Academy Award uh, for his role in, what's the name of the movie? What's the name of the movie? In America. But Jaiman Hansu was a, pretty much a model at this point, which is why he is credited as Jaiman. And not as Jaiman Hansu, but um, man, Jaiman Hansu is a great actor, don't you think? I would agree. Yeah, like I just I love seeing him show up in movies. I I think he was fantastic in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he's he's got a small role with Tony. It's him and Tony Jaa hanging out together in in Furious Seven, which is I kind of love. But like, dude, dude has he's done one of those great that guy actors. Like, he is. I, I love this guy. This that guy. I love that guy. And he's another one who's honestly he he showed up in Constantine, which we talked about earlier. But he's going to show up again in Push when we cover Push. Aragon when we cover Aragon. Like he he's another actor. Seventh Son. Like we'll get our chance to talk about Jaiman Hansu right. again. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he's, Legend he's of Tarzan. Pop- Fuck. He's Papa Midnight in Constantine. I totally forgot about that. Yes, yes. he is. Yeah. Fantastic. Love him. Yeah, he's great. Um, I love he's in the 2019 Charlie's Angels. Like maybe, maybe Paul Bettany is not the patron saint of this podcast. Maybe Jaiman Hansu is the patron saint of this podcast. I mean, por que no los dos. Ah, touche. Ha! Ah, hoist we up on my more. shoulders. We can have more than one. Uh, yes, and we should. Um, he's, also, he's also in Deep Rising, which is another absolutely another movie and gladiator gosh so many movies that we're going to talk about <laughs> that he has been in yeah um so, to the pantheon of patron saints of disenfranchised he he's totally up there he is absolutely in the upper echelons for sure and and again just like paul bettany we have nothing but love respecting goodwill for the man so 100 um we also need to talk speaking of great that guy actors one of the all-time great that guy actors is eric avari who is also in your beloved the mummy yes, yes. also in uh, roland emmerich's independence day just like an indian actor who is just again he shows up in shit and i'm like can this man do any wrong i don't think he can because he elevates even dumb stupid or bad things and he shows up in everything 
But and again, I don't think I've ever seen him deliver a bad performance. I've seen him show up in some bad things, but I don't think I've ever seen him give a bad performance. No, and I know we've talked about him before. I know uh, he's on your beloved Encino Man. All right. Yep. He's he's one of the Wheeze and the Juice guys. Yes, correct. Yes. No Wheeze and the Juice, etc. And is still with us. Uh, has not done anything since 2019. Not that I really blame him. Uh, but we'll talk about him again, at least when we get to uh, Planet of the Apes, a movie which he is in. Cool. Looking yeah. Looking forward to that. So, I mean, and and here's the thing, like we we do love Eric Avari. He's great. Um, like I said, a lot of the stuff he shows up in, not necessarily good. He's also in Home Alone 4 alongside French Stewart. That's hilarious. That's um, a weird connection. All right. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about him when we get to Daredevil, Master of Disguise. Like, he do, like I said, the dude has been in so much stuff. Just because, again, he, he he's in The 13th Warrior, another movie I invoked earlier. Like, I mean, he's just got his his fingers all over it because he's such an expressive actor. Like he he's got range. He can do a lot of different things and he does it well every time. Uh, typically, he's cast in kind of the stereotypical roles, at least early in his career. But I think as he's kind of aged, he's I think he's aged into like some respected elder statesman kind of roles, which I'm I'm glad to hear. Glad to see. Oh, Truly, yeah. you love to see it. Yeah, you love to see the that guy actors graduate to higher echelons of that guyness. Yeah, the that guy status. They just elevate their that guy status. Um, yeah. But but yeah, man, uh, Stargate. Like, um, not not the best movie, but also definitely not the worst. Yeah, no, it's not bad. You know, even though I talked about it being it drags a little bit in the middle um, and. You know, Kurt Russell doesn't get to be as Kurt Russell-y as we want him to be. No, which is a shame. And and there's a really weird child harem that makes me uncomfortable every time I see it. Literally, the reason uh, that is in the movie is to make you uncomfortable. That is literally the entire reason that child harem was put in the movie. I imagine, I, I figured that was the case. But does that make it a good choice? I would say no. And I mean, it's even creepier when you associate it with Roland Emmerich, who uh, used to throw parties with uh, the original He Who Shall Not Be Named. So Yikes. Yep. Yep. That's a double yikes. Yep. Let's, let's get a quick palate cleanser after that little brief anecdote. And let me, let's take a little trip over to Brett's Video Game Corner. Come on, oh, come on here. Oh, it's the corner. Let's go over to Brett's Video Game Corner. Let's forget about that over there. That's gross. I'll get yeah, somebody to that up while we're over here. Hella gross. Um, so there's a couple. Well, that depends on your definition of video game. So okay, there was, interesting. Uh, there was uh, Stargate Resistance in 2010. Is a team-based third-person shooter. It was based in the Stargate universe, but not based on the movies. I see. So probably um, more based around the show. Um, just, just yeah, probably. There's probably more references to the show uh, than the movie, but they they take place in the same universe. Honestly. Okay. So you, it's one of those things where like, oh, that's a reference. It could be to either thing. Sure, 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 sure. Um, then, but uh, so it's probably is closer to XCOM, um, which. People might be more familiar with XCOM out there. Um, I'm not, but continue. Sure. Then you've got the actual, based on the movie, 1995 video game for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System and Sega Genesis. Mm. 
Um, I do not remember seeing this game. Like I, I was a regular visitor to Blockbuster mm-hmm. for most of the nineties and early two thousands. Sure. Uh, I do not remember seeing this video game anywhere. Uh, hmm. But it's apparently a thing. It apparently, you know, happened. But it got really bad reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of very disliked overall. Um, this definitely falls into because um, I mean it's published by Acclaim, which they're around this time. Them and LJN were known very much for creating just cash grab, really bad adaptations of pop like pop culture ips okay um ljn more so but acclaim also put out some stinkers of licensed video games so that was that one but my reference to depends on what your definition of a video game is there was also a stargate pinball machine (gasps) pinball machine one of my favorite video games is a pinball machine so i'll take it yeah which i consider the video games which is why i'm including it here fair enough um they were definitely staples of the arcade so it tracks yeah, uh, and I remember playing the Stargate Pinball Machine. It was, it was a lot of fun because I, man, I love pinball. But, uh, Brett, how does it compare to the greatest pinball machine of all time? What one would that be? Brett. Because there's a lot of great pinball machines out there, man. You know what? The, I'm talking about the greatest pinball machine of all time. I don't know if I know what you're talking about. It's clearly the Adams Family Pinball Machine. I mean, you're not wrong. I know I'm not, which is why I thought this was obvious. But within the last five years, they have released a Ghostbusters pinball machine. (laughs) And let me tell you, I've played it. It's fantastic. Um, Just so long as it doesn't have those women in it. Harumph, harumph. Right, exactly. I I feel like that, you know, didn't need to be stated. Uh, I was I was making fun of those dipshits, but okay. (laughs) So am I. I'm being sarcastic. Oh, okay. In case you didn't know, I was being sarcastic. Jesus Christ, Stephen. <laughs> Come on. You're throwing me under a bus that didn't even need to be there. Uh, uh. Anyway. <laughs> now that I've been made to look like a dick. <laughs> now we got to leave the video game corner in disarray. Look, what- uh, I'm sorry. I'll try to tidy up in here a little bit. You um, this is all your fault. I Okay, fine. Look, video games are great. Brett's video game corner is is the best, and uh, we should we should be nice to Brett. You should. I'm not a dumb misogynist Ghostbusters fan. I feel like go listen to Ghostbusters 2016. I, our we, most we, downloaded episode right now. We tease it out. You know, you'll find out where I stand, we, and it's not there. So yeah, yeah. Let's take a look at that box office. And yeah, let's palate cleanse all of this. <laughs> let's 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 a wash of wholesome. Uh, capitalistic uh, content here to to wash all the ugliness away. Uh, so this movie comes out just in time for Halloween. Literally comes out the weekend of Halloween, October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety four. Uh, and just I know we talked about this on our speaking of the Patreon, our episode of Unenfranchised on Scream Four with our buddy Brian, Brian D Kuiper, who is the best. Brian, we love you. The um, the nineties were a bad time for horror. This is the weekend leading up to Halloween, Brett. If you could guess, how many horror movies do you think are in the top 10? One. Correct. It is the seventh entry in a long-running franchise that is 
one of your least favorite horror franchises, or at least one of your lesser slasher franchises, the seventh entry, it's actually my favorite entry in this franchise, controversially. Actually, that could go for two different franchises because the seventh is my favorite in the other horror franchise. The other, yeah, because that that made me think Friday the Thirteenth. It's not Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, it's not Friday the Thirteenth. Is not near the bottom of my list. That confused me. Um, No, but I do think the seventh is the best of those movies. Again, controversially, I think the seventh is the best of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. I don't think it's controversial. It might be. It's my favorite. So I like it. It, It's Jason versus Carrie. What's not to like? I know a lot of people rank it very low. I don't know why those people are. It's also uh, got my favorite kill of the franchise too. So then, is it is it uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? It, that new is the franchise. It's Wes Craven's new nightmare again. Rather controversially, my favorite of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street films. Is that controversial? I mean, I, I think for diehard fans of the franchise, yes. Um, I think I think some people will put it in the top three. But most people put three as their number one, whereas I go seven, one, then three. Like those are still my top three, but and those are of course are the ones, the only ones where Wes Craven is actually involved. My favorite thing about um, New Nightmare is that they didn't ask Johnny Depp to do it because he they thought he was too famous, and then when someone asked him about it later, he's like, "Oh, I totally would have done that. I loved working with Wes." <laughs> Which I find hilarious because Johnny Depp is one of those weird ass actors who will do whatever as long as it's really fucking weird. Yeah. Never assume with that man. That's why he did those those stupid Kevin Smith Canada movies, honestly. And that that and because Johnny Depp's daughter and Kevin Smith's daughters are like BFFs. But sure. Uh, Stargate opens at number one. Oh, and by the way, uh, New Nightmare is in eighth place. The weekend before Halloween, the Wes Craven movie is in eighth place and has only earned $14 million in three weeks. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, whereas Stargate opens at number one and in its opening weekend grosses $16.7 million in its opening weekend. Uh, number two, a movie that we have invoked already on this podcast, uh, a Miramax film directed by one of the other quintessential 90s director. Who's the director, Brett? You made a case for Emmerich. I made a case for... Steven Spielberg? No, No, Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. Do you know what movie came out Quentin Tarantino directed in 1994? 94? I'll give you a hint. It's not Reservoir Dogs and it's not Jackie Brown. Uh, I mean, well, Pulp Fiction is later, right? No, Pulp Fiction is 94. Is it really? Yes. I thought it was later for some reason. In its third weekend, Pulp Fiction is uh, down from the number one spot to number two. It's grossed 30.6 million dollars so far in its three-week run. In third place is The Specialist. Uh, What if there was a specialist? Down from number two. In fourth place, uh, Love Affair. What if there was a love affair? Weird to me that the weekend before Halloween, uh, Love Affair starring uh warren Beatty and annette benning is the number four movie is in the top five but the new west craven movie is in the bottom five wild wild to me brett I, man i don't know the 90s was a weird time for horror all right and they just didn't nobody nobody knew what they were doing i mean until uh, well, i mean it was, it was uh, mostly just a bunch of like it was it was all derivative it was trying to do trying to carry on those slasher franchises that started in the eighties. Yeah. The slat, the slasher genre was running on fumes and they didn't know what else to do. Yeah. 
Um, so again, uh, Wes Craven was like, I have an idea. <laughs> oh, you didn't <laughs> like New Nightmare? Let me get even more meta, you fucks. In fifth place, uh, The Road to Wellville, uh, about uh, one Mr. Kellogg and his um, and his uh, his clinic. Uh, do you know about the uh, the Kellogg Clinic? Do you not know? Do you know why we have graham crackers and um, and breakfast cereal, Brett? Oh, cornflakes. Yes, yeah. I do know that story. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, look that up. It's wild. Or better yet, listen to the episode of the Dollop with Pat Oswalt about it. Uh, fucking insane. Um, you will not believe it, and it's insane. It's wild. So, yeah, long story it. short, masturbation is the devil. I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say. Long story short, jacking off. Um, <laughs> in sixth place, you have the River Wild with Kevin Bacon. Uh, in seventh place, what if Rick Moranis and Ed O'Neill were brothers? It's Little Giants. Uh, in eighth place, the aforementioned Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, in ninth place, another movie that we have invoked, the other movie that Kurt Russell did in 1994, even though he was uncredited in it, would go on to, or yes, would go on to win the Academy Award uh, for Best Picture and Best Actor and Best Director. It's Forrest Gump, which hey. in its, is, is in its 17th week, still in the top 10 and has grossed $286.3 million so far madness and and the, the weekend of halloween is still doing better than the horror movie no just just is is one down from the horror movie oh i thought but, it was one above my bad no no no. horror movie is one above uh and then in, in the in, they are and in the 10th spot we have a movie called silent fall which stars actors we've previously mentioned on this podcast richard dreyfus and jt walsh uh, but also john lithgow linda hamilton and Liv tyler so there you go there's there's that uh, and then in 11th place, I don't usually mention 11th unless it's something uh, that I think is pretty good. Uh, it's the Stephen King adaptation, The Shawshank Redemption. So not a horror movie, but still Stephen King in its sixth weekend. It has grossed. It's it's, I think, ramping up for Oscar season because in, in six weeks, it's only grossed uh, 12.5 million. So it's probably not gotten its wide release yet. They're probably platforming that to a much higher, higher level. But there you go. There's uh, the box office. Stargate uh, opens at 16.7, goes on to gross a total of 71.6 domestic. Not a great multiplier. Gets, uh, I would say, probably another 125 million international for a total gross of close to 200, but not quite. 197 million rounded up there. Um, So... Not terrible, but also not good enough to where people are clamoring for a sequel. Um, so this is kind of where we leave Stargate. They try to develop a couple of sequels. Nothing really comes of it. Um, so they, I think they take most of those ideas and pour them into the TV show. So it, it gets a franchise, but not a film franchise, which is kind of what our concept is. It's, it's to get a film franchise because clearly they wanted to do one, but it was not in the cards because of that box office number. So, uh, and they have been talking about a reboot of the movie since 2013. Uh, and at this point it will probably never happen. So honestly though, with all the, like the people that are willing to like dig up old IP, I don't know. It might, I think there would be, I don't know. Like the series has such a huge following Mm -hmm. and became such like a cult favorite sci-fi show that I'm not sure they could get away with it. Hear me out, because this idea just occurred to me, and it's the dumbest idea I could possibly think of, which is why I think it could probably work. You know how multiverses are all the rage right now? 
Sure. Kurt Russell, James Spader, Richard Dean Anderson, and whoever the guy that plays Daniel Jackson in the TV show. You get the four of them, you know, and team up to beat some alternate universe Raw, uh, played by, I don't know, Benedict Cumberbatch or something. I don't know, man. I think that could work. Maybe. I'm just saying. Maybe. People fucking love multiverses now. Ten years ago, you you ask, you know, random John Q dude on the street what a multiverse is. They say, shut up, nerd, and punch you in the face. Now you ask them what a multiverse is, and they have very strong opinions about Spider-Man. So, I don't know, man. You want to requel it is what you want to do. I don't know that I want to do that. Uh, Speaking of which, if you have not already, go see the new Scream movie. Uh, That movie fucking rules. It's it's probably my third favorite Scream movie. And if I watch it one more time, it'll probably become my second favorite Scream movie. It's really good. Yes, you should definitely do that. But yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Tomatometer score for 1994. This has been a this has been a more tangent heavy episode than normal. Well, look, this is what happens when we're talking about a movie that is just kind of meh. It's true. And a movie that I mean, we we do have like some some sentiment towards, but it's not like one of those all timers stake your claim. This is the best movie ever kind of movies, at least not for us. I'm sure there are people out there who really love this movie. And hey, if you do, let us know. Uh, we'll get to the, where you can find us here in a few seconds. But the Tomatometer score for Stargate uh, is a 53 percent. That's rotten. How dare they? Those bastards. Um, the critics consensus Stargate has splashy visuals. Yes. And James Spader to recommend it. OK. But corny characterization and clunky script makes this portal this a portal to ho-hum. I can't really disagree with that. Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that. That's pretty spot on. It is pretty spot on. Um, the meta score is a 42, also not great based on mixed or average reviews from 17 critics and the letterboxd score for Stargate is a 3.1. Brett, where do you land on Stargate? Right there in the average at a three and, uh, make it a double. Cause that's me as well. Like it's. Again, it's one I've got some feeling for, but it's not one that I think is particularly great. It's not one that I'm like itching to watch every couple of years. Um, I watched it uh, maybe a couple of years ago at this point, just during quarantine, just kind of out of curiosity. Does this thing hold up? And uh, generally, no. Um, I mean, at least a half a star of that is just the fact that Kurt Russell says the line, give my regards to King Tut asshole. Um, That's pretty great. I like that. So. Yeah, the couple of times where Kurt Russell gets to do Kurt Russell things, uh, give it that extra half star. There you go. When I watched this a couple years ago, I uh, my uh, my review was: Would there be a Giorgio A. Tsoukalos without this movie? And I want to say no. There probably wouldn't be. And I don't get that reference. That's the aliens guy. The I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. Oh, that okay, yeah. The ancient aliens that, dude. Yeah, I didn't know that guy's name. I, I had to, I think I had to look it up. <laughs> I, 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 I invoked him in the plot in 60 seconds and I didn't even know his name. Yeah, so. I know. it's it's kind of one of those things like unless you're a big fan of ancient aliens, I don't think you know his name. And you know what? I think you're OK if you don't know his name. I think that's yeah, I would I would agree. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's where we stand on uh, on Stargate. Uh, it's currently streaming on Netflix as of the recording of this episode, which uh, is at this point uh, just a scant three days before the release of this episode. So it'll probably still it be awesome. It's also streaming on Amazon Prime. 
There you go. So um, I don't know. Things things tend to change uh, at midnight tonight. So maybe it won't be there for too much longer. But I don't know. Check it out. See if you if you want to revisit Stargate. Maybe we're wrong. And if you think we are, uh, maybe you should tell us. Reach out to us at disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Uh, also, we want to hear who you think is the uh, quintessential 90s director, the most influential of the 90s filmmakers. Um, also, it would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you would follow us on social media, we are at DisenfranchPod on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Stephen Foxworth. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter at Chewy Walrus. Brett, what about you? Where can we find you on the social medias? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at sus sus underscore warlock fantastic and as i mentioned earlier there's a whole bunch more great content on our patreon patreon.com slash disenfranch pod two whole podcasts that you can get over there one for three and the other gets added on at five um it's a really great value and you should check it out uh when you have the time particularly if you liked what you heard today if you didn't like what you heard we're a lot better behind a paywall that's all i'll say um but yeah and so we're we- a lot better when we're talking about a movie that we like more? Which we we tend to do. I mean, I, one of those whole podcasts is literally just us listing things we like. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, but there it is. That's our episode on 1994's Stargate. Brett, any final thoughts before we close out this uh, this meditation on Stargate? Um, no. All right. Fair enough. Well, in that case, uh, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy uh, from my co-host, Brett Wright. And myself, oh, you know who? what we haven't done in a while, Brett, is thank our good friend Tucker, who was on a couple weeks back, uh, for writing our theme song. Yeah. We don't do that. We don't do that nearly enough. Tucker, we appreciate you, buddy. Um, Even if you sometimes rightfully call us out on uh, on Podbean for for saying some of the dumb, unresearched things that we say, like, you know, talking shit about the Psycho sequels, even though I've never seen them. Apparently, that was maybe the most controversial thing that's ever been said on this podcast, because both Tucker and Brian came after me, so... Uh, maybe the most look, controversial thing I've ever said on this podcast. It keeps us honest. It does. So. And now I'm going to have to watch those damn psycho sequels. So there you go. Uh, but at any rate, I am Stephen Foxworthy for my co-host, Brett Wright and myself. Bonnie way. Bonnie way.